Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vine Pair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the business, as well as to provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Lynette Marrero. She's the co-founder of SpeedRack, a founding board member of the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation and the bar director at New York's Llama Inn and Llama San. Lynette, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure, and and we know that uh, with with all these different elements to what you do uh, professionally, you, you've got a lot of insight for us and our listeners on on all the different ways that uh, the COVID nineteen crisis has kind of changed the industry. It, let, let's start with the restaurants with uh, Lama Inn and Lama San. Can you can you tell our listeners a little bit about what what those restaurants uh, and bars are, and kind of how things have changed over time since um, this crisis first started unfolding? So uh, Lama Inn and Lama San are um, a small restaurant group. Um, we, you know, it's bringing Peruvian food um, and the style of very cosmopolitan Peru culture um, to New York with also a very New York vibe. Um, so we've been really successful, very lucky. Our chef um, made the long list again for Beards this year. Um, and we had just opened our second uh, restaurant in September, um, kind of our next level um, and open to three-star reviews from the New York Times. So all of the best things happening until, obviously, COVID happened, um, which had to, you know, make us really quickly decide what we were going to do um, with the restaurants. We kind of followed all the progressions, starting with, you know, reducing capacity, um, which was easier to do at Lama San because we were pretty booked up in reservations. Um, and Mama Ann has a bit more of a walk-in ability, which made it a little more complex, also a bigger um, restaurant. So we had to really kind of tackle how you change your reservation system to space people out to reaccommodate them. Um, and that resulted, obviously, like initially already into needing to readjust our staffing model, um, you know, spacing people out so that way points could be, you know, fulfilled by everyone. Um, and then as we moved into the second phase of delivery, um, Lama San, our newer Manhattan spot, uh, stayed open to do that for about a week. Um, at that location, we only did to go beer and wine, no cocktails. Lama Inn stayed open for a couple more weeks longer um, in Williamsburg until um, we deemed it, you know, not exactly the safest for our teams to be traveling in from really far distances to get there to run to go. So we, you know, took all the money that was coming in from to go. Um, all the tips that came in, any gift certificates, and put that towards a fund for our employees. Um, so anything that was bought at that time period and was still buying gift cards, we're putting in that place. We a pantry for our teammates, so we were able to collectively buy food and put it out, have our staff come in and grab it at designated times. Um, so that's just how we've been able to try to make things work. We recently, uh, it ended like last week, we did an auction of different items, whether it was, you know, chefs, myself, giving out classes, skill sets, offering to do private dinners and people's homes at the end of COVID. Um, and we raised 40000 there. So really just trying to think out of the box on the way that we can keep serving our team uh, through this crisis. And as we try to get catch up on all of the new laws and what may or may not help us through the CARES Act, uh, which is I think every day everyone was trying to decipher a little bit more about what that means, how to make that work with all the requirements. Um, 
And that's kind of a, it's a lengthy process. At least there's been some amazing resources. Uh, the lawyers held Ryan Levy in New York have done a great job of with their Instagram of kind of breaking down. So I think for a lot of operators who are super stressed at this time, making it a little bit more digestible and holding information sessions. Um, but I think right now, you know, as I talk to a fellow board members of restaurant workers who own restaurants, cafes, you know, everyone's just trying to figure out what they can get done, how to, you know, negotiate with their landlords and just figure out ways to um, keep some sort of cash reserves that will need to, to open up the doors and, and get started again when things happen, which will inevitably be a slow reintroduction into what thing is happening, you know. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point that you make is that, you know, it's going to be a sort of a phased-in process. I, I want to go back to one thing you said and just ask a little bit more of a clarifying question. So when you talked about making the decision to kind of close close uh, the restaurants down for the purposes of uh, even takeout and delivery and, and mentioned that part of the reason for that was just sort of thinking about safety, is that about, you know, it seems like maybe that that's a point that hasn't been fully understood by some people that there's especially in New York but maybe in lots of other cities there's the sort of safety at the restaurant you know you can keep people working in different spaces or on different shifts but but is the issue that you couldn't necessarily be confident that coming to and from work was safe for people or or, or what was that about yeah absolutely I mean we're not in a culture in New York where it's driving to and from a place you know we had you know a couple managers who did have cars and they felt you know, it was a little bit easier for them to get in before most of our staff who works there, they're commuting in either from the parts of Brooklyn or Jersey City or places that were just requiring them to unnecessarily expose themselves to risk. Um, and that risk just wasn't, you know, no matter what, it's really difficult to, I think right now, unless you're a certain style of restaurant, um, you're not going to be able to make enough money to that is worth putting them at risk, you know, like, and I don't even know if anything is really worth it at that point, you know, like if everyone's, you know, if someone gets sick and they don't have insurance, that's a lot, a lot to think about. Um, at the end of the day, restaurant workers, which we identify a lot with um, restaurant workers community foundation are, you know, just making it by sometimes, have, you know, don't have a lot of the extra resources. So we just thought that putting them and, and then, Ultimately, their families are at risk by them commuting was not was not worth it. Gotcha. So, since you mentioned it in that last answer, let's let's talk a little bit about the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Can you can you explain what that is and kind of what what your both your involvement and and what the foundation as a whole is doing right now? Sure. So, the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation was founded in September 2018, and it's a mix of industry professionals and not-for-profit executives, uh, people who worked in the space for a long time at different companies. And we all aligned just realizing that, you know, the hospitality sector, which I think, you know, obviously this COVID is really shining a light on, uh, is extremely vulnerable, especially in times of um, large-scale crisis. We've seen it when either hurricanes have happened and different places that they're, you know, this population is the first one that gets hit because immediately their way of work is gone. You know, there are people who have to go to work um, to get paid, and then there's not a lot of protections built in. Some places have, you know, depends, every state's different. Some states have, um, you know, sick leave. Some do not. Some have different, you know, salaries and credit and all this stuff. So it's it's a very vulnerable 
population and they're also vulnerable to a lot of risk um, in general, such as, you know, depression, alcoholism, all these other things that tie into kind of the cycle. Um, so we really wanted to start an organization that started thinking about um, how we can help serve um, that community, help give them, you know, put our money that we raise towards organizations that are doing a great job working in all those different um, spaces, but also um, being able to build a platform that can advocate for those um, and for what restaurant workers need. So we met together on a call on March 15th, right when this was all happening, and decided we needed to start a COVID-19 emergency fund. We launched it, and to date, we are at two and a quarter million dollars raised. Um, we have given out a million dollars so far to our partner, um, Southern Smoke, who is evaluating all of the applications that come in for emergency aid and then uh, distributing those funds. They have that system, and that's part of us um, giving back to systems that are working well. And then we are launching our other programs. The so 50% goes to the emergency fund. 25% will continue with our work that we are doing, supporting other organizations in all the different areas uh, that we want to keep supporting uh, sexual violence, uh, immigration status, wage fairness, all those different um, areas, as well as we're saving 25% as well to um, develop a zero interest loan program. So on the outside of everything that's happening, we can hopefully be able to give business loans to people trying to get back on their feet in the industry, and then that, when that gets paid back, that'll just go back into the charity. Gotcha. Okay, so let's let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about some of the other things you've been involved with. Um, and the the place that I know you best from is Speed Rack, which for those of you who are not familiar, is a uh, bartending competition uh, for female bartenders that was is now, I guess, international. You have competitions in Canada mm-hmm. as well as the U.S. And so I know that obviously that's the kind of thing where. Traditionally, it's a big party. There's, uh, you know, not just competitors, but there's lots of people in the crowd. You know, friends, coworkers cheering on um, their favorite bartenders and friends and whatnot. And and obviously, that's all on hold for right now. But can you can you talk a little bit about kind of where things are with Speed Rack, both kind of where you were in the season and and how uh, at this point you guys are moving forward? Sure. So we actually were just on the tail of the cocktail conversation with our um, our team in Canada because we're all, you know, facing what rebooking events look like. And I know this is affecting a lot of people. Um, We actually completed on March 16th our uh, seventh regional of our eight regionals for the U.S. And that was in New Orleans. So we were ready to do the event. Competitors were driving in from Texas and all these places, and everything was changing by the minute. Um, We ended up doing the event. We canceled kind of a large scale. We did more of a closed event for the competitors and there are people who came with them. So it was not the under 50 policy. And we did the event. We were supposed to go to DC and finish our last regional in the mid Atlantic um, on March 30th. And we had to postpone that. And then our national finals were supposed to be in a couple weeks on Sunday, May 3rd, which we're waiting to see. We were going to be the day before James Beard and a part of the Chicago style conference which both have been postponed obviously nothing's happening um so we're kind of on hold for this season nine which is what we were in um and so luckily our the way our it's built our season goes from october through end of may so we've just been able to kind of 
take season nine and extend it a little bit longer. Um, you know, we have plans to return to Mexico, which is to happen later this summer, which, you know, we haven't officially postponed that yet with our team, but it's looking like that's going to get postponed. Um, Canada, we've had to push. We were supposed to do regional starting um, in about a month. And the, <clears throat> we are supposed to do regional starting in about a month. And then we were going to have our national finals in August at Toronto Cocktail Conference. And that's moved to October. And speaking with our team, it's looking like we're going to have to scale back on regionals just to focus on the bigger event and try to activate those teams a little bit more um, the other provinces in a much smaller scale. Um, and that's kind of, you know, we talked about it, but Canada's just going to become a big building year. Um, it's going to be hard to, you know, our charities are going to take a loss this year because we're not able to do these large events that raise ten to 15000 an event. Um, so we're hoping we can at least meet what we did last year, but it's just going to be hoping that we can sustain and get as much um, funding for our charities as possible. And we've been trying to do some interesting little things. We Today we launched a partnership with a brand and they said that they would give 500 to our charity and then we were going to get matched up to another $500 if people went on our website and donated to the pink agenda so we're trying to find these little ways of still fundraising for our other charities because you know breast cancer treatments continue people are still affected um the biggest crisis of covid is our our healthcare workers are now just extra busy with covid they haven't stopped being busy from all the other medical emergencies that they need to carry out um, so it's it's a bit of a of a craziness. Our brands have been extremely supportive. Um, you know, we emailed them and said, right now in this time, what we will be doing is, you know, being more digital, keeping for look out for our community, sharing what you're doing for the community, so that way people have access to that information. But right now, it's as much as we can be out there helping to mentor helping to amplify any messages that are helping our community. Um, that's what we're doing. And then, you know, we're on lots of WhatsApp channels from different season competitors and different competitions and watching them all communicate and, and support each other through these conversations. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty crazy time. I mean, just when you're event based and you know, we were even talking with uh, Carrie from Cherry Bomb, you know, and she went ahead and did Jer Cherry Jubilee um, online on a full day of conferences and people doing Instagram live, which is awesome. And she let us do a little speed rack demo, which we were really excited to kind of do this time trial with, you know, ladies hopping on on Instagram live, but it also made us miss what we, what we have with our big event where we have community and it's going to be us thinking about how we can translate community online for the next few months as we rebuild and what that'll mean. And I guess that's our challenge. Speaking of kind of, changes and challenges i'm wondering you know in addition to to your involvement with speed rack i mean my understanding is you know you are one of those people who is kind of constantly in motion it seems like how how much has just your life changed um you know it work or otherwise kind of since this whole crisis came to a head uh yeah i mean it's pretty insane i was talking to another colleague who um he was saying like 70 percent of his annual um, salary comes through this year because it's all these events and a lot of speaking engagements and judging uh, competitions and things like that. And that's all just kind of dried up. Um, some brands have been really great and have honored um, some of those contracts um, and saying like, Hey, we knew you we were going to be able to be here. We're going to honor the contract and, you know, we'll talk about what that looks like to satisfy that later, um, which I think is really honorable. 
Um, a lot more work um, has popped up online. So it's kind of funny that I filmed masterclass.com, which is an online education series that tackles lots of different platforms. You know, Anna Wintour teaches leadership. Um, RuPaul teaches how to be your most fabulous you. Uh, Sarah uh, Brinkley from um, Spanx talks about starting a business. Steve Martin teaches, like, timing. So there's all these crazy um, teachers on the platform. Um, and then the culinary side, uh, up until this point, it has had mostly only food. So... Um, they had James Suckling teaching a wine tasting class, but there was everything else was culinary. Gordon Ramsay, Gabriella Camara, Alice Waters, and um, Ryan Chetty Wardena and myself, uh, Mr. Lyon, were tapped to be the first mixologist on the platform. And we shot um, everything in December of 2019. It was edited. We were supposed to launch on March 19th. Um, but we beta tested in the top three ever of all masterclass programs uh, with their viewership. So they moved us up to March 5th, which ended up being a uncannily good timing for what's going on. So as people, especially consumers, were looking for what to do at home as they can't go out to their favorite bars, they could learn what we were teaching. And even when we were building the programming, even back in, you know, September, October for creative calls, you know, a lot of what I was bringing up was like, okay, well, I just kind of want to use it and use this platform to kind of teach how I train new bartenders so that home consumer can learn order of operations and how to build drinks and like how to innovate based on classics once they know them and, and create new drinks. And so we did that. And now that's become a little bit more of an opportunity. Now I'm teaching a few more classes online and partnering with people. I just partnered with the Bronx Brewery, which also was in development um, before all this happened. And it was meant to launch April 1st and have this awesome collaboration. And I created a cocktail with their fruit, like awesome spicy beer that's coming from like collaborating with all New York artists. And we translated that into doing a happy hour where I taught people how to make beer cocktails. And now where, you know, my recipe is on the can when people scan it so they can buy the gift label and then they can go home and then they can make my cocktail with it. But a lot more of those kind of digital online opportunities are happening. Um, I'm seeing a lot more education opportunities coming out that way. I'll be participating in two weeks um, with an organization called Beyond the Bar, which um, Walter Easterbrook uh, has been doing these kind of um, all-day get-togethers, give back to um, the newer and up-and-comers in the industry. So he's tapped um, people like myself, Susan Federer from uh, Clover Club in Mayenda, Ivy Mix did a class, um, and we all came in and did, you know, an hour presentation on our careers, our paths, or, you know, Susan was talking at that time about what it means to be an owner of a bar for people who were thinking of going that way, alternative, you know, careers in the industry. So we were building up this platform, and in two weeks we're going to do more of that online and digital and teach people a few other things. And on our call today, you know, one of them I was talking about Walter was, you know, how do you get started at this point doing things like a podcast, which he, he decided to start because um, he normally does events called Arte Agave, which, you know, brings like 600, 700, 800 consumers to experience, you know, all the tequila tastings and cocktails and performances. And right now that can't be done. So he started a podcast with a lot of the personalities in tequila to give his audience something to listen to at the moment. And so we thought like, you know, giving some advice on how to do that. You know, he was like, I had to go figure it out. And it wasn't that easy to find 
information I had to kind of figure it out and I did and I'd like to give back and I'm going to teach on a little bit about kind of just different things you can do to get involved um, in your community and then also um, things you can do to start building out your professional kind of toolkit um, different skill sets you might want to brush up on and different workshops and things that you can take online that are either, that are free on um, a minimal investment right now. Um, things like media training and um, just a simple, simple things for how to like, you know, how to get your best camera angles. If you're doing these cocktails online, how to find good lighting, all this kind of stuff. So we're going to put together a bit of a course um, and I'll be one of the keynote speakers and then I'll teach a, a section about kind of, all those different stuff that I'm doing and how to keep engaged. You know, I've done brand ambassador work in the past and, you know, all this stuff. So I think people are going to come out of this and bartenders. I think as we, I think there's going to be less jobs, whether it's because there's less shifts available as, you know, it takes time for consumers to come back to all the bars. Um, we'll see how that affects people. And we'll need to make sure that they're finding opportunities for job placement if they want to stay within the industry where there might be some opportunities. Well, I, it definitely sounds like you are staying as busy as always, which is which is good good to know. Um, I just have one last question for you, Lynette, which is, what are you drinking yourself these days? Like, wh- have you had a uh, a cocktail <laughs> that you've been finding yourself going back to during this period of uh, of social distancing, or, or or what have you what have you been drinking? So I've I found my like my complete, and I always knew I love Negronis, but I found myself uh, with a, a fascinating range of gin options and by home and I was like, wow, I guess I've been drinking all the rum and I've been uh, you know, so having lots of daiquiri and things like that prior. And now I'm into the cronies. I had a few bottles of like really cool vermouths that I wanted to try and had plenty of Campari and then lots of different styles of gin. Uh, so I've been I've been on the Negroni train uh, mostly and then a few few tiki drinks because I found that like you know, I was going to the market and getting a bunch of fresh fruit. So I'd make shrubs. And I'm like, well, shrubs are great. You can use them in tiki-style drinks with lots of spices, rum, and, and different sweeteners. So I started playing around with that. But mostly it's been Negronis. <laughs> gotcha. Well, it's as good a drink uh, during quarantine as it is the rest of the time. So that makes sense. Lynette, thank you so much for your time and for um, sharing your expertise and, and kind of giving some people, especially on the bar side, some ideas for maybe what they can do with their time um, as they may not be working, but that doesn't mean uh, they can't look to uh, improve their craft. So th- thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.